You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Creatures Podcast. For today's interview, we'll be focusing on animal welfare, wildlife conservation, and how to install activism in children at a young age. My guest, Sarah Woodard, is an award-winning author who writes fictional tales about activism in topics for children four to nine. Several of her children's books have won awards and accolades for their ability to utilize storytelling to help give a voice to individuals or groups of people who otherwise don't have a voice in order to create positive change. As a parent, I'm super excited to have her here today on this interview as I'm trying to raise my kids to be people who care about and participate in the world around them. So hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on All Creatures Podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to be here, and I want to take a second and truly applaud you for wanting to raise your children to care about the world around them and participate in it, because if every parent did that, imagine how amazing the world would be just a generation from now. Oh, yes, definitely. But I should stress trying, because it's hard. There's a, It's, it's, it's uh, hard. Uh, My husband always says that uh, parenting isn't hard. It's being consistent that's hard, right? I think that that's <laughs> the day in and the day out when you're, when you're tired or you're just yeah. like, ah, but... But yeah, absolutely. Even just as a, and I use just very loosely here because to me, pets are still people. But even as a cat mom, I find consistency is also very hard. Like there are days when I'm like, okay, you're being irritating, but I'm going to patiently tell you you're being irritating. And there's other days when I'm like, you're irritating the hell out of me. Just go away. Right. So <laughs> exactly. It, like, it, it, this it, is it, why I don't have human children because cats, they kind of forgive you pretty quickly when you do that. Human children, it's, they, it, it doesn't often get forgiven quite as quickly. <laughs> it, it is, it can be a little rough around the edges, especially as they get older and get more opinions, yeah. right? And, and their yeah. personality and their personalities flourish. But I'm lucky that we have lots of pets and kids in the house. So usually there's one of them that's like really liking me at one moment in time. One so at one I, time or another. That's good. <laughs> yes. Well, Sarah, we're so happy to have you here. And before we get started talking about books and children and animals, of course, and conservation, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. So um, this is always such a challenging question for me because I never know where to start. But like educationally, um, my background is actually in special ed. 
And I so applaud people that can actually do that job because I, after getting my degree in it and going all through school, I got in front of a classroom for the very first time in student teaching, which they save until your very last semester and went, oh, hell no. <laughs> but at that point, I powered through and finished it because I wasn't going to not get my college degree after all that work. But I walked away. So, but there's always been that, that like teacher part of me, that part of me that wants to, that wants to touch kids and not just touch them, but like empower them. Cause to me, that's a huge piece of instilling activism in young kids is, is that helping them to feel empowered to do something about what they're seeing. Otherwise it, it's just a scary thing. Right. So, um, there's always been that within me and it's been channeled to the books instead of teaching in front of a classroom. Um, but on like a personal level, um, I was like this kid, I came out of the womb feeling like I missed a message, right? Like my, my parents always talk about how I had, I was born with just like big wide open eyes and just this stare. Like I didn't really cry. I was very shy. Like most of my childhood, I took me a long time to find my own voice, but I did a lot of watching and observing and, and internal judging, not going to lie, internal judging. I'm still working on that one. I th- it gets better as I age, luckily. So <laughs> I still judge too. It's just less internal now. Um, <laughs> but I did a lot of that growing up. And all of that, eventually, when I found my voice became, I need to talk about all of these things. And it took me a while to sort of go, okay, the way I talk about all these things is to write about them and to use that author platform as a larger platform to, to do speaking engagements and visit classrooms and camps and hang out with kids and all of that. It took me a while to, to connect all those dots and put all that together because no journey is ever straight, right? So <laughs> No, there's no linear journey. There's jer- no such thing. It's as not linear. Line. If anybody tells you it is, they're... Not telling they're, you the truth. <laughs> they are, yeah, they are making something up. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and and it's funny too because my people, I will joke, I half joke, but it's kind of true. My my journey into veganism also sort of began in the womb. Um, I was born a week early, which is not a big deal, as you know, but it's a big family joke because the night before I was born, my parents had calamari for dinner. And I never liked seafood. Even just the smell of it would send me running from the house. And so there was this big joke that like I was born early because I was fleeing the terrible food. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And so, you know, and for me, it wasn't like I flicked a switch one day and went vegan like it is for some people. For me, it was like, again, like a nonlinear, slow journey that just came from paying attention and listening and learning. And there was a couple of very influential people, one of whom is... um, this girl, Jessica Elmy, who actually now is, I forget her title, but she does something with the Good Food Institute. But she was actually a couple of years ahead of me, a year or two in school. And we happened to be on the same bus route. And she was just the, the, a kind soul. She saw this shy little girl who couldn't get anyone to sit with her on the bus, much like in Forrest Gump. And she said, you can sit with me. And she just kind of every, it was like every time our schooling crossed because she was a year or two ahead of me. So it wasn't all the time, but every time sort of our, we were in the same school at the same time, every time that crossed, she just sort of took me under her wing and just helped me to feel safe and helped me to, I don't know, just 
feel confident in that little kid way. And in, and at the same time, she was being raised vegan. So we would talk about that in the way that only kids can talk to each other. And it sort of made it, it didn't make like a big impression at the time, but it just got filtered in with all of the, all of that thinking and processing and judging that my brain was doing while I was very silent. And in high school, I had another friend who was in band with me, Mignon, we called her Miggy. And she was vegan. Her family was not, but she was one that flicked a switch and went vegan in high school. And I was asking her questions about it and talking about it. And she let me try some of the vegan food. And it just, you know, it got, again, put in the brain. It's delicious. A lot of it. Yes. So good. Right? So good. And even better yeah, I just, now. I like just, uh, is... just bought vegan cheese and I, I'm like, this is amazing. You can't even tell the difference, right? No, yeah. it's amazing. And back mm-hmm. then it was, di- I mean, I graduated high school in 1993. I'm old. But- so back then it wasn't even that good, but it was still perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's come a long way in the intervening years, but it was still really good. And it just became, I don't know, it just sort of started to filter in. Right. And then by the time, you know, then, in, then in college, like more stuff, you look, cause college as you know, like is a big expansive time for people and I learn stuff and more things. And it just sort of slowly. And then as an adult, I sort of got rid of more and more and eventually it became, Hey, look, I'm vegan and now I've been there for like 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, and as congratulations. You know, That's get, awesome. Very good. You. I love thank that. You. Thank you. And as you know, like when you, when you get involved in one area of activism, like it's like pulling a thread on a sweater and it just all starts to unravel. And so it was like, well, now I can't just talk about animals or the environment. And like for me, that shy, quiet kid, I was also really into nature because that's where right. I felt. And that's what I was going to ask. Do you have a favorite animal encounter or experience in nature when you were growing up or were just that aha moment? It was, I don't think there was like an aha moment. I, it was just, I would go into the woods and into the trees to feel happy and safe. Peace. And mm-hmm. Peace. Yeah. I still, that's still the same way for me. Yes. I, I lived in Chicago and I loved it. It was so fun in my twenties, uh, just because I could experience more culture and music sure. and people and, yeah, uh, it's a happening spot. It, it, it is. And it was. And, uh, but now where I live in Florida, I'm just surrounded by trees and I just feel mm-hmm. so much more inner peace. I don't know how else to yeah. describe it. It's just interesting. No, I get it. I get it. And I think it just sort of it's like all connected inside of me. Right. And it just, it was like, it just all started to come out as I got older. Yeah. And it's interesting though, you say that about yourself in the trees also, because, so I believe, and and I believe also science backs me up in this. If you know anything about like quantum, quantum mechanics or anything like that, um, everything is energy. Right. And so even including like your body and, and your cells, and each individual cell. And so there's this thing called energy medicine yoga. And it, in much like um, Chinese medicine, where your body is a, um, a quote unquote element, and I don't mean an element on the periodic table, I mean, like the ancient elements, <laughs> like fire and water and wood and metal. And so I have a friend who teaches energy medicine yoga. And she's like, you have to take this quiz and see what element you are. And I was like, all right. So I took it. And sure enough, I'm a wood. And so of course, and I have a hunch that you would be also because you have that same feeling with trees of like, you just need. In water. I do like water too. 
Yeah. Well, you're never like hundred percent one thing. Right. It's always like a scale. There's Mm -hmm. always like, and this quiz gives you your, like your percentages, but I, I don't, I, I am suspecting that you're probably also very low on the water and that's why you seek it out because I also seek out. So I'm very high on the tree. So I obviously want to be there because I feel at peace, but I also seek out the thing that I am lowest in, which is earth. Oh, interesting. Okay. That makes sense. In the mountains, which is why I was saying before we started how I'm so excited to, you know, go to Colorado and, and have those mountain views every day because that's oh, a yeah. strong and, earth energy. Mm-hmm. Well, and there was a really cool scientific study that I always introduce one of my ecology classes with about um, a group of people. They took their blood values prior to sending them out in the woods to camp. Okay. And then they camped, I believe, for a weekend or maybe it was five days. Not a, not a huge period of time out in the woods. And they came back and they took their blood values again uh, a week later, a month later, and two months later. And they found that several of the blood values that have to do with stress were lower after they had spent time in the woods uh, than compared to baseline. And then a, a lot of um, immunology markers that um, have to deal with inflammation, a lot of those were lower as well after they had been out in the woods camping as compared to, um, as compared to baseline. Yeah. Then what's, which is not super shocking, but they did last. It's always nice when science. It is. It is. And then it was, and it was interesting too, because it was like, it it was like up to a month after the camping episode. They were still, yes, they were like still lower than that part is surprising. That's really Mm -hmm. cool. But they took, I love, this is why I love research. Uh, they took it the next step further. And then they decided to take another group of participants and measure all the baseline blood values and stuff. But instead of putting them into the woods, they just gave they gave them a computer and showed them nature pictures. And I, I don't sure. want to mess up the study because I don't know how if they showed it to them for an hour. I don't know if it was evergreen or deciduous trees. I'm not sure. But they showed them basically trees. And same thing, the blood values for inflammation and stress went down compared to baseline. Pictures of trees. Pictures of trees. Now, the effects were not as long lasting, so the values went back to normal quicker. Um, I don't know if it was a week later or what, or a day later, but they but they still had that, it still had that immediate effect. And I'm, I'm having goosebumps. I, I use a story all the time when I started in ecology and animal behavior class, because I, I do, it's just so fascinating to me uh, that, that, that nature has such an, can have such a great impact on, on one's personal health. So mother whenever nature peop- gives us everything we need. And I know. And so whenever that's always one of my arguments, yeah. And that's always one of my arguments when people are like, oh, just cut down all the trees and build things. No. I'm like, no, it's, I mean, for your own, like, even if you don't like trees or wildlife or whatever, I mean, those people are out there for your own health crazy, sake. But yes, they are out there. <laughs> right. So for your own health sake, your own, like, you want to focus your and just be selfish on you. He- physical mm-hmm. health. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting. don't do it. Yeah. I love this information. I'm going to start yeah. using it. Yeah. <laughs> And so, Sarah, you're moving through and processing all this stuff, and you have your degree in um, special ed, which I applaud you, and one of my best buddies, Aaron, uh, is a special ed teacher out in Denver, actually. And and then you kind of switch gears and start writing stories. So how did Not that transition Not even right emerge? away. It was really, again, nonlinear, right? Because mm-hmm. God forbid anything goes in a straight line except the highways. Um, so... For a long time, I just, 
kind of floundered. I was doing office work and making the, you know, paying the bills. And I was married a couple of times and, you know, just, I just kind of was trying to figure things out, you know, kind of doing life. And then in my thirties, I had what some people might call like a dark night of the soul, um, (laughs) where I basically just, you know, I was divorced twice by that point. Um, I was changing jobs. Like my whole life was in upheaval. And I basically had to take a hard look at like, what really makes me happy? And what do I really want to do? And even then I didn't hit upon, you're going to write children's books, but it was sort of the beginning of that part of the journey. I, you know, I focused, I was less focused on advancing my career, doing something I hated. I worked in purchasing for a government contractor. Let me just tell you how non-joyful that job is. Um. <laughs> well, a good advisor once told me sometimes it's it's not figuring out what you want to do because I, of it's course, too, was a lost. <laughs> right, I was a little bit of a lost soul for still. I'm still. I'm always wandering. The, all who wander are not lost, right? Uh, Correct. But. But yeah, I was like, figure out what you don't want to do. And I was like, oh, that's it. And so, yes, I spent a lot of my, a lot of my teens and twenties, even 30, like, okay, this, I don't want to do this. This isn't so bad. And kind of narrowing it down from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so my thirties was a lot of that. In the meantime, I did buy a house by myself and, you know, I was, and part of the reason I bought the house is because I was getting into things like, um, beekeeping and, cool. Yes. And, um, which I actually have a different perspective on now, but we can circle back to that. Um, and, you know, wanting to, you know, have like a natural, you know, pollinator friendly lawn and uh, like, so that was part of my motivation for buying a house at that point in life. And even then there was nothing about the books. The breakthrough with the books finally came. I was on the phone with a girlfriend of mine who lives in Florida, in fact, in the Fort Myers area. And she's also been vegan a long time. And we were talking, I forget exactly what we were talking about, but something about being vegan or whatever. And I was like, you know, Andrea, I just, I need to have a voice in this. And she's like, well, Sarah, just put it up to spirit, put it up to the universe. And your, the, the way in which your voice is supposed to show up will come. And it did. That my very, my very first couple of books were not vegan topics, but they were like my toe in the pond to see that mm-hmm. like, you know, my first book, Adri's Big Dream, was actually inspired by like energy healing type of stuff and transformation, which I still think isn't a very important thing. And and my second book was Gabby's Special Day, which was really more about like patience. And it's actually about a flower waiting to be born in the spring and all about being patient and, and stuff. But they were my they were my introduction, right? They were my way to connect with my illustrator, who I've used the same one for all of my books. I love your illustrator. We'll talk a little bit more about He's, that later. Yeah, but, he is mm-hmm. the bomb. Yes, you know, I, it was it was and to see and to go through that process of publishing a book and marketing and how does this all work? It was it's like a my big learning curve, mm-hmm, a journey. Huge. I'm still learning. I'm still of learning. Of course. Um, but yeah, it was like the toe in the pond to be like, see, you can do this. And then when I put that out and I was like, okay, like I need a voice in this conversation. It was like books. Okay. All the ideas. I can't type fast enough. (laughs) So so yeah, that's really when it all started to connect for me was, was when I was sort of needing a way to, to be that activist, to be that advocate and not knowing how to do it. Cause I am not that person that is going to go for a march. I am not that person that is going to 
you know, do a sit-in or drag the orca back in from being beached on the beach. Like, that's just not how I show up in life. Sure. (laughs) Those are all very valid, and I applaud the people who do them. It's not me. Well, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's a... That's a really important point that we always try to stress on this podcast when we have people reach out to us. Well, how can I help wildlife or animal conservation? I, I, I maybe I don't have a degree in in conservation, or I work too much, and and that's where we we go through so many different ways to yeah. tap into what your talent is. And it doesn't right. as cool as as it is to track tigers on Sumatra. And I've interviewed people that have done that. And that is cool. Uh, not, it's not for everyone. Well, that's, well, that's cool, but it's also, it's, it's really inspirational, but it's, it's like really hard too to hear the stories about camping and two weeks before two weeks into the woods before you even find the camera traps. And then you're hoping there's pictures on them. And so, I mean, really inspirational stuff, but also really hard stuff. And that's just for me, as much as I would maybe love to do that in a different life or maybe a different time in my life, it just doesn't work with my my current situation, my family. And so what does work? And that's where Chris and I got together and we're like, well, we were educators and animal scientists and we'd like love to talk. So podcast it is. <laughs> it was a good, and, but, and, but yeah, yeah, it just, it does. It, it's not all like, it's not, yeah, it's not always, like you said, you have having to do the sit in and, and I, and I applaud people that do that. And I've Absolutely. been to marches before and it feels good. I've taken my kids to marches before, uh, to, to show them, but, but I want to show them all the levels. Like all it doesn't options. have to just right. be what might be the most, when you think of activism, you're the most forefront in, in, in your brain or your mind of what it might be. There's lots of different ways. And, right. and, and I, I honestly, about that on my website also, that there's different, you know, types of activism and stuff. And, mm-hmm. well, and Sarah, I, I mean, honestly, there are so many ways uh, to do and explore activism. And with your books, would you mind talking about why reading stories together as a family, especially with younger kids, is so important? Yeah. So to me, books are a teaching tool, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, they need to be written in such a way. And C.S. Lewis has a quote that I butcher every time I try to do it. So I encourage everyone listening to just go find it instead. But good children's books are written in such a way that they are entertaining for adults as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. And so first and foremost, it needs to be entertaining for both the child and the adult who's reading it with them. Secondly, and they're a teaching tool, right? And so when you have when you have that book, if whether it's mine or someone else's, and you're reading it together, the point is not just to read the words on the page or, and to look at the pictures on the page. The point is to also have those conversations that come out of them, right? That's how exactly. That's how, this is actually mm-hmm. one of my one of my big tips on um, how to help your child find their passion and purpose, which you know, it's, is a big download. You can get off my website for free, but my, my biggest tip on there is to have those conversations. Cause that's how you help them find their passion and their purpose. You have those conversations. Kids are very intuitive and they listen to their instincts a lot better than adults do. So if they're asking a question, they already think they can handle the answer. And so as much as it's good to protect your child from things they can't handle, it's not necessarily up to the grownups to decide what they can handle. Right. And so it's finding that balance and allowing them to have that conversation and to say, 
mommy, this, you know, this page in the book, it's, it's really upsetting. Well, okay. Why is it upsetting? And let's talk about that. And then let's talk about what you can do to help in a situation similar to this one in real life. And that's where the empowerment comes in. And that's what activism really is. It's just being an empowered human doing something to help another living being, plant, animal, vegetable, whatever, <laughs> who is not empowered in the way that you are. That's it. Yeah, that's very, very well put. Uh, I, I, I strongly agree. And um, I appreciate your words, sir. They're very true and inspirational. And Sarah, for some of your books, would you mind expanding on these fictional tales as they relate to animals and the environment? Uh, we have so many animal lovers, of course, on this podcast. Um, I would love for you to share uh, some of the books and in general, the topics uh, that uh, we can look forward to learning more about. Yeah. So I know I gave you a bunch of titles before we started, and we can certainly dive into those individually if you want to. I don't remember what they all were, but... Um, Yes, we'll definitely put all of them on our show notes uh, for sure. But if we want to cover a couple of them just to get our uh, listeners a little bit of a background. Perfect. So, um, you know, I I talk about, I take on like really hard stuff. I talk about everything from like hunting in terms of like trapping and bear hounding, not just bear hunting, but very specifically hunting with dogs, which again, I'm going to get opinionated and judgy here because it's what I do. Um, I think it's vile and horrifying and disgusting and I needed it needed to be it was a story that needed to be told so I told the story but I tell it in a way from the perspective of the animals and in general that's what my books are is they're either from the perspective of the animal who's going through a situation same thing with like the trapping one it's from the perspective of the animal going through the situation or they're told from the perspective of the hero and my heroes are rather um, non-traditional. They're not, you know, they're not Superman with a cape and an S on his chest or Wonder Woman with, you know, her W's and her cool, you know, wands and (laughs) her bracelet things and whatever. Um, although I love them both. I love Wonder Woman very a lot. I was dressed, I dressed as Wonder Woman even as a grown up for Halloween because I love her I was Wonder Woman a couple Halloweens ago. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I love her a lot. My, but my heroes are not that prototype of a hero. They are everyday heroes, Um, people who run um, wildlife rehabs, right? Mm -hmm. And do the actual rehabbing. They're heroes to me. And I have have a lot of wildlife rehab books either out or in the queue because they are heroes. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned um, Baby Cottontail's New Friend. Yes. Baby Cottontail's New Friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Caring for Caring for Koi, C O Y E, Mm -hmm. which means. It's Norwegian for grass or sod, um, <laughs> which felt very appropriate for coyotes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the rehab or the, even the people who find the animal that's injured and bring it to the rehabber, those are mm-hmm. heroes. You know, so it gets, or people running farm sanctuaries, those are heroes. So sometimes it's told from, from that, from the hero standpoint, and sometimes it's told from the animal's standpoint. But one way or another, it's it's relatable for kids so that it's like, okay, so like Little Bear Scary Day, the bear hounding one, it's like, okay, so the, you know, they're hearing the dogs and this is really scary and they hear, you know, other things going on and, you know, the mom is explaining it. And so that you can feel that they're afraid and you can feel that they're in danger, but there isn't any like blood gore tears drama, right? Because that would be too scary, most likely for most right. kids, right? 
but you can have that larger conversation then from that book about why do people even do this? Well, we don't really know, right? You can have that, right? And you can have that conversation. And then so where you can say, well, if you, you know, as an example of a way to empower them, you can say, you know, if you think that this is not a good thing, how can we try to stop that? Maybe we can write a petition. Um, you know, right. And that actually, yeah. And Sarah, that leads me into the other big question I had is, so if a child or, and or a parent are reading one of your books, and let's say one of the rehab books, and a child is feeling inspired, what does activism in a child look like to you? And what are important ways that us as parents can help teach our children or guide them in how to become young activists? Yeah. So just like with adults, how activism looks different, it looks different for every kid too. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, that you can definitely help them to write a petition and get signatures. I actually have a workshop that is, I'm in the process of, it's mostly created, but I'm in the process of figuring out how to roll it out and whatever. Um, well, I'm also trying to move, so <laughs> maybe a little bit, but uh, specifically about how to write effective petitions. And the idea is to offer it for adults, like teen, tweens, and children, um, so that, because obviously learning is a little bit different for each of those groups, and I've, I'm not a one-room schoolhouse teacher. So, <laughs> um, but so that, I mean, you could help them to write a petition and get signatures. You could maybe, you know, maybe they're feeling like, oh, I really want to help work with wildlife. Okay. They may not be able to do that depending on age limits and things at the different, but you could still connect them with someone who runs, um, of wildlife rescue or does that, you know, as a part-time volunteer thing. And maybe they can provide them with some things they can do at home to help though. You know, there's, um, if their kids are crafty, they're often looking for, um, like knitted nests and stuff for the birds or, you know, there's things that they can do from home to still help without having to be there with the animals if they're too young. Sure. Or, or, or yeah, or bringing in towels or uh, raising right. money for food, something like that, Absolutely. whether it's a lemonade stand or. or yeah. Mm-hmm. Or donating their birthday is another. Yes. Thing, I've you seen know? that before uh, with, uh, with some of the animal shelters too. Yes. That, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. So you I mean, there's a million ways that kids can be activists in ways that are safe and comfortable and approachable even just ta- even that girl Jessica who talked to me about being vegan all those years ago while we were on the bus together she was being an activist she wasn't that wasn't in her head her intention was sure. not to be an activist there wasn't a title mm-hmm. right that wasn't like oh, i'm going to talk about veganism today like, <laughs> right. right it wasn't it wasn't like she set out to like change me into a vegan but she was still being an activist just having that conversation your child going into school and talking to another kid on the playground about this book they read and this idea that they have now because of this book they read is being an activist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now for someone like myself, who is obviously an animal lover, very passionate about wildlife and conservation and nature. And I have my niche of things that I'm really passionate about, active about, how do I take my own interests and passions yet allow my kids to explore their own? That's the big challenge, right? Because we always yeah. want our kids to love what we love, right? Of course. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so, and again, there's some tips about this in that download, but it's, you can still talk about those things, right? It's not like you completely remove them from the equation. You talk about them and they may decide that they're as interested in it as you are, but you talk about it and then you leave them room to also talk to you about whatever it is they are into, right? And you can make it a conversation where they're like, you know, I'm really worried about the homeless population and here's why. And they can have whatever it is that's in their head that's bothering them about that. And you and you can help empower them to do something that a child can successfully accomplish to help with that. And you can say, you know what? I totally get why that upsets you. And I feel the same way about this animal-related topic, right? And then it becomes a conversation almost like your peers. You're not because you're still the parent. But it becomes this back and forth where you're they're sharing and respecting your passions and you are sharing and respecting with theirs. Yeah, I know. I love it. And that, that's a really good point because I'm lucky my kids love animals, but as they are Which becoming more, do, they're, but. yeah, but as, they, as they're becoming more of their own person, I definitely want to help foster uh, their their own interests and that, that may be different than mine, of course. And so that's really helpful. And And now you've mentioned the download so I want to take this as an opportunity uh, to help let our listeners know that uh, on our show notes, we're going to have Sarah's website and her uh, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest handle at Sarah Woodard Authoress, which is S-A-R-A-H-W-O-O-D-A-R-D-A-U-T-H-O-R-E-S-S. You don't have to write it down. It'll be on our show notes. And of course, uh, I'll mention again at the end of the podcast. But I uh, became a uh, member on your website for email. Uh, yes, you got the download, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I just want to, for all of our listeners out there, it's it's a, it's wonderful to, to go to her website at sarahwoodardauthorist.woodpress.com. And once again, I'll put that on our show notes. Yes, you can sign up for um, the weekly emails and of course to download these these parenting tips that are just phenomenal um how to help get your kids involved in activism what to say to them what not to say to them and of course we're touching on some of these topics on the podcast today but uh the download the sheet the hints the the helpful the helpful it's hints much more are thorough than what we're going yes, to do yes i am a busy busy mom and so i'm a i'm a cliff notes like just give me the cliff notes right. <laughs> the cliff notes and let me look at it and so that plus the the um the weekly conversations that you uh, that you send through uh, through email are wonderful as well. Oh, so you. I applaud you for doing that. Please, please keep up your work. And um, I I'm definitely a subscriber, and I'm, I'm I feel much better for being a subscriber. Well, that's thank for sure. you. That's excellent feedback. I appreciate that because that's actually a relatively new thing. So it's it's good to hear that it's actually valuable and that people are appreciating it. <laughs> Yes, I, I think some of our listeners will really enjoy it as well. So we'll, once again, we'll put all that up information on our show notes. And of course, on your website too, um, the books, and we're going to talk a lot about the books uh, more as we move through this interview, but you also are a guest speaker for classrooms, uh, both Zoom and in person, and yes. you do all, all sorts of uh, talking engagements. And so I was wondering if there's a moment when you've either been teaching uh, a child or reading one of your books to a child or educating a large group and reading one of your stories where you could see the aha moment on, on the kids' faces, or maybe they came up to you afterwards. 
those are some of the best moments, aren't they? So yes, I want to hear about them. I love them. So actually, I this actually happened. Um, one of the books we haven't really talked about because it's more insect related. It's called Callie's Change, and it's actually so it actually takes the um, life life cycle of a monarch butterfly, and it was inspired by a real life story. This guy who I only know through LinkedIn. We connected when the pandemic started because he had commented on someone I know's post saying, "Hey." If I don't have to wear a tie, I'll come to your Zoom meeting. And I would happen to be doing a Zoom book launch for the very first time because of COVID. And I was like, you can wear your pajamas to mine because it was a book. It was a pajama party book launch because it's kids nice. books. So he came and then we became sort of friends. So he posted this story on LinkedIn about how this monarch had built its, its chrysalis on his porch. And he sort of kept an eye on it and whatever. And eventually, you know, it was born and, you know, the, the whole thing, not born, but you know what I mean? And so that inspired this whole story about protect, you know, protecting, protecting the chrysalis, but also protecting those that need it, that, that, that can't protect themselves for whatever reasons, and about change and just the whole thing. And so I did a book launch, a virtual book launch for that one as well. And so he was there and he had his whole family, his kids, his grandkids, like they were all there from all different parts of the country on Zoom on this book launch. It was so cool. And so I read the book, I read the book and even his adult children, okay, who have kids the right age for these books. But again, books are supposed to be for adults too. His adult kids are like, oh. They were like, they, it was just like that light dawned sort of look, right? And they're like, oh, they're like, so wait a minute, that, that, that baby, that, that caterpillar inside the chrysalis. I'm like, well, it's kind of goo, but yes. Um, they're like, we have to take care of that the same way, like we took care of the baby when it was, you know, before my kid was born. Yes. <laughs> they were like. I never knew that. I thought it just kind of all worked out. I'm like, mm, it's nice to think that. <laughs> right. But to really, yeah, to really open up your eyes and, and, and just, cont- I, I'm, I always like to consider myself a lifelong learner. There's yes, a absolutely. lot of things that I, that I maybe didn't have interest in before, like how a refrigerator works or something. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, but now in my but adult life. breaks but, and you need to learn why. Right. <laughs> or how, oh, well, or how can it be more, you know, more carbon neutral. And now I have a lot more questions because as, as I, I grow and get older and evolve, I, I, I want to know more. You get curious. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's a good um, quality. I, yeah. I mean, I really love how, how your books do that. Not only of course for children, because children are naturally curious, uh, but also for adults as well. So that's so awesome. Now, Sarah, my next question is a little bit more about the world that we do live in some of these tougher questions. And with everything going on in the world right now, from climate change to COVID to war, our children are facing a lot of uh, hardships, some in their home, and then others just learning about it and uh, trying to understand it as they move through the world. So do you have any advice for us adults um, and teachers out there of how yeah. we can... Cr- of how we can create like a safe space for these yeah. young kids to talk about what they see happening in the world. And then maybe if they, maybe they do want to participate in a climate change march or something like that. They are not the first kids to go through hard stuff. Like, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing we're probably around the same age. We had to go through the Challenger explosion. We went through the Gulf War. We went through, I mean, we were older at this point, but we went through the, the 
the planes flying into the New York towers. We went through, we went through, um, parts of the cold war. We went through, we went through stuff, right? I mean, you know, the, the whole middle East, right. That was like a significant part of our lives. <laughs> like, yes, you yeah, know? definitely. And we got through it and we're okay. I mean, it depends on who you ask, but no, of course. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> but, but that, and, but that said, I mean, but my point is, is we, we survived it, right? Mm-hmm. Today's kids will too. But with that said, we survived it better because of maybe one or two influential people in our lives. And so I think sure. what you're really asking is how to be that influential person for mm-hmm. children Definitely. in your life. And I think it really comes back to what Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. And if you want to be that influential person, you need to be the helper. And that is your, that is an action speaks louder than words things. You want your kids to, to feel empowered and feel like they can make change and to feel safe. Then you go do that. However it shows up for you, right? Maybe you're not a climate march person. That's okay. Maybe you're a letter writing person. Share with your child. Hey, I'm writing this letter. Here's what it's about and why it matters. Do you want to sign it too? Absolutely. No. And if they are afraid, if they're scared because they're watching the news, which is never a good thing, even when you're a grown up, but they're scared because it's on and they're seeing all this stuff in the Ukraine or whatever. And they're, they're afraid that it might happen here. Don't shut that down. Like, yeah. As I say, that's, that's, that's a legitimate, right. Those are legitimate feelings. Legitimate fears. And I think the knee jerk reaction is to go, oh, let's not talk about that. It's too scary. And mm-hmm. I understand, but when you shut down the conversation, the kid's brain doesn't stop. Now they're just internalizing it instead of having a conversation with you. And when they internalize Excellent it, point. they make it bigger and scarier than it really is. So if they get to that place and they're like, oh my God, could that happen here? You can say, it's not very likely and here's why, but I understand why you're afraid. And if it would help you, let's come up with a plan for what we would do in case something bad happens. They encourage this anyways, right? They encourage the firefighters go into schools and they encourage you to have a plan for what to do if there's a fire in your home. Sure. So this mm-hmm. is just continuing that piece. They're already learning from the friendly firefighters in school. What do we do if something like that happens here? What's our family's plan so that we can all stay together and the animals in our home stay safe? It's just a continuation of that. Then they feel safe, right? Because they know there's a plan and they've contributed their thoughts to that plan. Now it's not so big and scary. Well, and Sarah, to expand on that a little bit, with wildlife conservation, the environment, climate change, all those things that are interrelated, what is your advice to help teach kids that there is hope for wildlife conservation, uh, for the environment, for nature in general? That is such a great question and so important because even as adults, we get the whole compassion fatigue thing, right? So, and it can be really easy to fall into that. Nothing matters. Nobody cares. I go there too. I, I freely own that. I go there too some days. Um, and I think the way you teach them to have hope is, again, it's a couple of things. First is you let them know it's okay to, to, to not feel that way sometimes. That, you know, it's okay to say, yeah, today I feel like nobody cares and nothing matters. That's okay. Create a safe place for that to happen because it's real and it's okay to be real. 
when they've moved on from that, right? Because at some point you do, right? You process, even as adults, right? We need some time to just be in that space. And then we process it however we process it. For me, having a stuffed animal to pat is very helpful. <laughs> but that's me. I'm a I have my dog. Healer. Yes, Rainbow. Yeah. She's very helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a tactile healer and the cats don't always want me to pat them the way I need to rub <laughs> to feel better. So I have, a, I have a stuffed animal specifically for this. Her name is Serenity and I pat her and go, Serenity now, Serenity now. <laughs> um, whatever that is that they need to do to, to feel a little better. When they've started to feel a little better, you can say, okay, so I get that that was how you were feeling and that's okay to feel that way. But maybe there's something we can do to make a difference, a little small difference. And you remind them that little small differences ripple out and make bigger and bigger differences, right? Like for me, my books are a little difference, but they're my ambassadors, right? Literally, I call them my ambassadors. All I do is I go plink. I put them like the stone in the water, plink. But when, when one person reads it, then it's a bigger ripple. And then somebody else reads it, bigger and bigger ripple. So what, can, what little plink can they make in the water? Maybe it's writing a survey, writing a petition. Maybe it's taking a survey. Maybe it's- Make, Doing a bake sale. Whatever. Doing a bake sale. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, it's doing a presentation at school, right? Who knows? But you have that, you have that conversation with them. And again, it's giving them some power. Because the only time we really feel hopeless is when we also feel like we have no power and no control. We're never going to get to be in control of everything. That's just not reasonable. But when you figure out, this is the piece I can control. This is the piece my child can feel like they can control. And if you focus on that, the rest of it that you can't control feels a lot less crazy (laughs) and a lot less scary. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, very well said. So I'll uh, have to, as my kids age, because they're still pretty young, um, I haven't had to touch on a lot of these harder, harder topics. So, But you know what's coming. Uh, they do. And, uh, and now I have a lot, of, a lot of advice and tips on how to do it because it takes a village. And it, does. it really, really does. And Sarah, to add to that a little bit, I, I've had a lot of fun with my boys this past week reading a couple of your award-winning books, um, the Purple Dragonfly Award winner, and it's The Lost Little Bee and Layla's Goal, which are wonderful and um, engaging books. I enjoyed them. Um, my boys enjoyed them. We had a lot of discussion afterwards of, yeah, who was the hero and and why did this happen and what what could we do differently? Uh, and so it was, they were great conversation starters and they're magical though. The, the illustrations are wonderful. The, uh, the language is just very, um, uh, it really takes you in. And so oh, I, I really you. applaud you and I can understand why those are definitely award-winning books. Uh, but do you have some other newer books that you'd like to mention here on the podcast for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, can I just say thank you so much for all of that? Because again, as my ambassadors, they go out in the world and I don't always know what happens after that, right? I don't know that people have read them or that they've liked them or had conversations or anything. So thank you for that. That's lovely and just makes my heart so happy that you enjoyed both of those. Um, and um, so let me see. Um, sort of along those same themes of like nature and the environment. Another award winner um, is Ellie of the Woods. Um, it's a bit longer and a bit more metaphysical visionary than those two. 
Um, but not so much so that you're going to be like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like it's still very down to earth. But the premise behind that one is that this little girl, Ellie, she's a child of the forest. So her parents are like forest creatures and, um, you know, the tree, I forget exactly. I say in there like her parents, you know, parents are the trees and I'll, I forget exactly who they are, but, and I, and I, people think, oh my God, you forget your own books. It's not that I, I am like a vessel for these words. So I frequently forget them as soon as they've been written because I don't keep them in my brain. I just, I'm like a vessel. They come, I put them on the paper and then they're out in the world. And I don't always remember all the specifics. I remember the highlights, but I don't always remember all the specifics. Um, so yeah, so Ellie, you know, she's a child of the forest and one day it's time for her to leave the woods and go out in the world and be like a healer. Um, in the sense that like, um, she's, she is in a very kid way being an activist and teaching others how to take care of themselves and in taking care of themselves, take care of the world. Um, so that's, that's a good one, um, for kind of along those same lines of the little lost bee and Layla's goal. Um, more recently I have been touching on, um, some LGBTQ stuff because I feel like that's super important. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially living in Florida, you know, all too well how important that is. Oh my um, goodness. We might have to move. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that, so there's for, for, for books on those topics, um, Tommy's transformation is about a train is about transgender. And then, um, Penelope's dads is about, um, having two fathers instead of a mom and a dad, because honestly, every family looks different anyway. So who cares? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Who I don't mean who cares. Like it's like a derogatory thing. I mean, who cares? Like, can we just get over it already? <laughs> like, well, exactly. And even my kids, when they say like, Oh, you know, Tommy has a, a, a video games. And I say, well, different families do different things. Like there's, right. There's no one uniform There's way no a family one. looks or the way that it acts or what it believes. Yes. But this is Can we you know, just this, move on? Right. Yeah. This is what we do. So yeah, they yeah, uh, my sister in law exactly. taught me that one. Different yeah. families do different things. Different things. <laughs> uh, and then the other one I always quote is uh, I'm like, you know what Mick Jagger says? You can't always get what you want. <laughs> they get perfect. so annoyed when I do that, but that's very much fun for me. Uh, yes. They're like, Mom. Well, I know. Yeah. Well, I know too that uh, when we were talking before the interview started, you mentioned Fred's new friend, which sounds yes. wonderful for wildlife lovers, um, yeah. especially us that listen to the podcast, that about um, the appropriate ways to feed wildlife versus yes. the inappropriate ways. And so yes. that so, would definitely be one for our, for our friends to check out. Yeah. So Fred is a squirrel and he's actually based on a real life squirrel that I um, met when I moved to my home here in Vermont. And he, you know, I moved, I moved to Vermont in the coldest week of January and Yowzers. he was, yeah, don't recommend it. But anyway, <laughs> Vermont was shocking in that it is not actually as wildlife forward thinking or as hippie, crunchy, granola, progressive as you think it is. It was surprising. Hmm, I will say interesting. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so when I moved here the coldest week in January last year, there was this little squirrel and he just kept coming by and he just, I could just tell, like he just was a little smaller. His tail was not really fluffy. He just, 
I could just tell he needed a little extra help. And I was like, okay, buddy, well, I'm already putting food out for the birds. I can give you some food, but you cannot have it every day because you are a wild animal and you cannot become a pet. And we gradually sort of developed this, I don't even want to say relationship because it's not a relationship. It's an understanding. I put out food sometimes, not all the time. This And I, and I typically only do it while there's snow on the ground. Because sure. once there's mm-hmm. not, they can find food. Right. Um, yes. Yes. You definitely don't want wildlife to become dependent on it because, yeah, what happens when you move? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't move and you cannot move wildlife across state lines legally. So, that's right. Um, we, you know, we're not, and you don't want to try to catch a squirrel anyways. So, um, so, you know, this year when he came back, when the snow was on the ground, cause he kind of knew like, all right, snow's on the ground. I can probably find some food here at least once in a while, but he brought some friends this year. And so they all, they all got names and they became the Flintstones. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. I love it. Well, in addition to Fred's new friend uh, as a book about wildlife, um, I also want to mention some of Sarah's other books about wildlife rehab and hunting to include Baby Cottontail's new friend, Caring for Koye, uh, which we mentioned earlier. There's also Willie's Stuck Day and Little Bear's Scary Day and Simon's Bad Day. And that's just to name a few. So... I highly recommend to check out Sarah's website at www.sarahwoodardauthoress.wordpress, which is S-A-R-A-H-W-O-O-D-A-R-D-A-U-T-H-O-R-E-S-S dot wordpress dot com. You can also just Google her name, a lot of author, um, lots, lots of different sites come up. Sarah can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest with a handle at Sarah Woodard Authoress. And Sarah's books can also be found uh, very readily on Amazon. And if you go to author.2 slash Sarah Woodard, uh, you can find her Amazon page that will open up to whatever country you are searching in. So very international and user-friendly. And we will put all of this information on our show notes as well, um, because once again, you really need to get uh, to her webpage and uh, get signed up for her email reminders and to help download all these awesome parenting tips. They're just super helpful and they're fun for me to look at after a long, hard day of parenting when I'm struggling. And then I just get this friendly reminder of like, oh, maybe, you know, this might be good or try this book or try doing this thing or have you thought about it this way? And it really, uh, it really lightens up my day. And once again, makes, makes it feel like this whole parenting thing in this world that we live in, it, it takes a village and it, uh, and it, it makes it uh, seem more, more uh, user-friendly. That's for sure. And of course, today we focused a lot on Sarah's books that have to do with wildlife and nature. But keep in mind that Sarah's books also include uh, diversity, friendship, LGBTQIA, environmental and sustainability topics, of course, wildlife, companion animals, veganism, and also animal rights. So a lot, a lot of fun topics beautifully written, great storytelling, and conversation starters about some of these topics that I know for a lot of us uh, animal lovers out there that we really do care about. And we want our children and just um, our friends and family, these would make great gifts uh, as uh, for the holiday season or for a birthday uh, to 
to, yeah, just get the conversation going. And they're very um, well-written and gentle on some of these topics. So they really bring the reader along on this, this, uh, this beautifully written and illustrated journey. So Sarah, please keep doing uh, what you're doing. You are, like you said, I love the analogy of throwing a stone in the water and just making one ripple and seeing where it goes. And uh, I think that uh, I hope your ripples grow across the world. And I want to help you do that because I Thank think- Thank you so uh, much. Oh my God, you're making me cry. Oh, well, it's just our, our I mean, it's important for us as adults, but our um, our youth is this these these upcoming generations are going to be what make it or break it for wildlife. I mean, I've talked to a lot of experts who say, you know, we've got 20, 30 years to turn this thing around if uh, for wildlife, especially and for climate change. And so that's going to be in the youth. And so I, I want to help raise my children and, um, and other family members, children uh, to help be little wildlife warriors. That's for sure. And if they don't want to be wildlife warriors, that's okay. They can be uh, diversity warriors or climate change warriors or something like that. So right. But be a warrior for something. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And it feels good. And, and, um, and we know uh, on this podcast doing this every week that, um, being helpful and helping spread the message and getting people inspired and excited, excited, even if it's just one person, really makes all the difference. Thank you, Sarah. Everybody, once again, um, Sarah Woodard, we appreciate your time. And check her out at sarahwoodardauthorist.wordpress.com and find more information on our show notes. All right, Sarah. Well, thank you so much. Have um, a safe move to Colorado. They're lucky to have you. And you and I will stay in touch and we'll keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was quite possibly my favorite podcast yet. So thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Bye-bye.